0: And as you are being seated, if you would please take out your copies of God's Word as we turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. i been really looking forward to this passage this week as we've been preparing. We see and get to look at one of the parables and teachings of Christ. So Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1, I'm reading out of the ESV. Listen carefully, because this is God's word to you. And he, that is Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought, not, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Today, many of us are troubled by what we see across our news, timelines, and television screens. We've seen horrific evil coming out of Afghanistan as Taliban forces move in. And we've seen many heartbreaking images and striking video to this effect. And it might be tempting These days to draw a line of comparison as what we can learn from this is how good we have it here in America. And while that is true on a national level, there are many individuals who are going through such personal suffering as would seem to be similar to what they're going through in Afghanistan. There are those that come home to homes where they don't feel safe. There are those that have been praying for relief from their distresses. Or justice for wrongdoings that they've had against themselves and have not seen it. And this is the wonderful thing about this book and this passage here today. Just like all the other passages we can read. Is that this passage here means the same thing here in Sylacauga as it does in Kabul. And that the same relief that this passage can bring there, it can bring here. It doesn't have to be a change of degrees. This truth is the same. And I want us to take a look at it today. It's very easy for us to get discouraged when we look around, whether it's our personal lives or in the world, and say, why hasn't God moved yet? It's easy for us to say, it's like, well, why hasn't God healed grandma? But why hasn't God healed all grandmas? Why hasn't he brought justice to the entire world yet? What's holding him up? Well, we find maybe not a direct answer to that question in this passage in particular, but we do get an understanding of who God is to make us comfortable with that question being, for the moment, unanswered. So we're going to take a look, as it says in your outline, We're going to look at two points today. The first is that God hears you and is good. God hears you and is good. And secondly, God loves you and is just. God loves you and is just. Just as a quick reminder of what we looked at last week, we saw the reality of Christ's return and that it would bring judgment when he comes that it would be a fearsome thing when that day arrives, that there will not be a single city, a single house, a single room where God's justice is not meted out. There's nowhere to hide. Wherever spiritual deadness is to be found, there will be the vultures of God's judgment circling around it. That was the context of what we looked at last time, that judgment is coming. But here in 18, Jesus is following up with this passage. And it's wonderful. Luke gives us the point of this passage in the very first verse. So it makes sermon writing much easier. Here in verse one, I'm personally grateful. Here Jesus says, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. That's the point. Pray, don't lose heart. Sermon over, go on. No, I'm just kidding. We got more to do. When we look at this, I love the honesty of the Bible. Jesus gives us this teaching because he expects us to be in situations where we could lose heart. He expects that we're going to get to a point where continuing in prayer doesn't seem to make emotional sense to us anymore. Jesus is not living in a fairy tale land where everything is going smoothly. Jesus doesn't live in an area where, doesn't live in a world that says you live your best life now. Anyone who tells us otherwise is lying. That's what Jesus is here for. He wants us to know that this is going to be difficult. But there is a way that we can counter that discouragement. There is a hope that lies beyond this trial. There is light at the end of this tunnel. And he tells us that through a story. So here he tells us this parable, and it has two main characters, this unjust judge and this widow. Now, this judge is a real piece of work. This guy neither fears God nor respects man, which was kind of the two qualifications to be a judge. But this wouldn't be the first time we have people in political office unqualified for it. As one scholar said, neither the laws of God nor public opinion can stir this man's conscience. He is in a place of power. But nothing is going to convince him to use it well. Sideways glances or the public insults in the marketplace don't move him at all. In fact, he seems somewhat proud of his reputation that he doesn't fear God or respect man. It's that real contrarian attitude that he has. And it sets us up for a really awful situation. Here we get verse 3. It says, And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Now, if there were, we were alive in this day, our shoulders would slump down as we realize who's trying to get justice from this person. The widow was almost a symbol of a powerless person. Women could not directly inherit properties from their husbands if they were to pass. And in fact, the heirs of those properties were only entitled to give her a set of a little bit of money that was set aside at the wedding. And once they gave that to her, they owed nothing further to that widow and could turn her out. She had no power in this time. Very little recourse for extra income. Very little recourse for protection. And now she's coming to this judge whose only interest is himself. She has no money to give him. She has no means of persuading him to give justice to her, except she has one thing, and that is persistence. So she keeps at him, day after day to motivate this man until he finally gets to the point that even though his reputation is as such that he is not moved by these things, it would be easier to just give this person justice so that she would leave him alone. The translation here for ESV so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The idea here is she'll give me a black eye. Just so tired of all of the beatdowns and being, being worn out that I'll just give this person justice. It's not saying the Wood of the Woman is actually beating him up, but is just wearing him out by coming to his office again and again. Now... It's pretty clear that God, uh, Jesus, who is God, is telling is trying to give us a comparison, a point of comparison between this judge and God. Now there is a wrong way to make this comparison. So I want you to listen to this. If you've tuned out, tune back in here. What we don't want to do is to say that God is like this unjust judge in that you have to keep annoying him to give you what you want or what you need. That's not what's happening here. What Jesus is making here is a less than to greater than argument. If this is true, how much more then would this be true is how we're supposed to read this. And this is what is saying here. If this judge, who has no motivation at all to take care of this widow, if she would keep coming to him and giving him the prayer request, how much more would it be a God who is just, who does love his people, How much more is he going to fulfill their needs? This is an entirely different person. The judge is sinful and self-interested. Christ is perfectly holy and others focused. There's also a difference in relationship. The widow has nothing on the judge. It's not a relative. It's not a friend. She has no pull. But with us, it's a father and a son relationship. We're children to God. How much more of a pull does that have? That when we come to him in prayer, we're not trying to annoy him into an answer. We're not trying to tap into this deep, deep away from his forefront of goodness. We're not trying to get that. God hears you and is good. As the old children's cartoon in Sunday school used to say, that God made you special and he loves you very much. And that's true. He hears you and is good. And it's the initial part of this passage I want us to hold on to. We have to know this truth in order to be able to dive into these other questions that I raised at the start here today. He's not an unjust judge. He's a loving father who is attentive to your needs. So if that's true, why is verse 7 and 8 here? What is he saying? And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Has this been your experience? I'll just think about that for a second. Has it been quick? Do we look at Afghanistan and those people that have been praying? Is there justice right now? Has there been protection? Why is there still so much suffering when there has been so much praying about it? I want to pause for a second and this and say these are good questions to ask. It's not wrong to ask questions like this because God has these answers to them. Where it gets wrong is when we just lob these questions at God as if he doesn't have an answer for them. Throw the question at his face and then walk away. That's not the attitude. When we ask questions of God, we come to him expecting answers. Because he has them. They might not always be answers we like, but he has answers to those questions. And he has an answer to this one. And that's what we're going to look at today. The question is, what is taking God so long? The first thing is to acknowledge that Jesus is expecting us to ask this question because of verse one. I give, I tell you this so that you will continue to pray and not lose heart. Jesus expects the question. And we have established that the character of God is nothing like this judge. So we can, we have our first answer, uh, at least an answer to this first question. Why is God taking so long? Is it because he's mean? No. Is it because God is unjust? No. No. Is it because God is unaware? No. That's not the reason why this is taking so long. When we look at verse 7, there's a lot of ways, if you look at commentaries, a lot of ways to translate, a lot of ways to think about it. But I think Mr. Ryken captures it best. And he translates it this way. Will God wait too long to save his people? And the answer to that is no. He continues, his deliverance will come at just the right time. Here, there will not be any unnecessary delay, but God will answer our prayers at exactly the time he knows they ought to be answered in the wisest way, according to what brings him the most glory. In other words, God is not going to miss a deadline. God is not going to forget or make you wait a second longer than is necessary. He will arrive like Gandalf does in the Lord of the Rings precisely when he means to. As Reichen continues, and I love this, his delay is not a denial. He will do things right when they need to be done. His timing is perfect. But this passage was spoken 2,000 years ago. Why hasn't he come back yet? Isn't 2,000 years long enough of a wait for justice to come, for the Son of Man to descend in glory and to have his kingdom start forever? Why 2,000 years? For that, I want us to turn to 2 Peter. Please turn there with me. If you have a hard time finding it, go all the way to the back and start working your way to the left. You'll find 2 Peter. If you have to use the table of contents. There's no, no shame. 2 Peter, we're going to be reading out of chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Now, this was written to a church. And you know what? The Holy Spirit's words to this church are relevant to ours as well. So what I want you to do is I want you to listen to this passage as if the Apostle Peter has written this to you in answering this question of why has God taken so long? Listen carefully. 2 Peter 3, verses 1 through 10. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. In other words, yes, things appear to have always been the same. Though when God moves, it's a big move. And we also remember, as it very critically says in verse 8, notice that he says, do not overlook this. That's Peter saying, don't miss this. Don't overlook with the fact that time with the Lord is different. That one day is as a thousand years. And that he is not slow, but he is wishing that all should reach repentance. In other words, he's giving us time to get right with him. Aren't you glad he waited 2,000 years? You can enter the kingdom now. Was that worth the wait for you? That you would come to repentance and that you would find Christ? He's been doing this for a long time. In fact, if you were to look back into Genesis 15, 13 through 16, why is it that the Israelites were held in bondage in Egypt for 400 years? He says because the sins of the Amorites, the people that were living in Israel at the time, were not yet complete. God was giving the Amorites four centuries to see that they needed God. Talk about patience, talk about love in delay. He's giving us time. And having seen last week what's coming with judgment, I'd be comfortable for that being a little bit further away. I'd like more people to have an opportunity to hear Christ before that day comes, another opportunity to see that Jesus is glorious and that He can save you from your sin. That's worth the wait. I would also ask you to consider, as commentators have pointed out, that this is not your only experience of life. You're not going to be alive and conscious just for 80 or 90 years. You're going to exist forever in eternity. And trust me, when you are on year two billion in heaven, a few thousand years is not going to seem like a whole lot. We've seen this already in how we age. Remember when you were five years old and a month seemed like a long time? Three months passed, just brushing your teeth, turn around and the calendar flips. And we have only had this a scale a few decades. Already five years doesn't seem like that long to us. How much more so when we're two billion years old? A thousand years would be the same as a day. And a day is of a thousand years. can scale that into money as well, if that's easier for you to grasp. A billionaire can just as easily spend a thousand dollars as he can spend a dollar. It's all the same to him. He's not going to feel the loss. And in the same way, when we see things from the perspective of eternity... Giving another few thousand years for more, millions more to come and know Christ and to be a part of the kingdom will be worth that wait. Our prayers, when we ask them, we're operating on a different timetable. We want to be a part of something larger. And your prayers are. But we can easily be discouraged if we expect God to work on our timetable. If we expect God to conform his focus to just these few decades that we're alive. In fact, as one commentator put it, if Christians expect God to work according to their own time charts of the end and hope to and and they hope to escape hardship, they are more vulnerable to despair and will give up on prayer when they're beset by afflictions and when God's chronology does not match theirs. In other words, if you want God to operate on your timetable, you're going to be disappointed. If you expect God to bow to you, you are always going to be disappointed. But if you have this larger perspective, if you're working from the the perspective of eternity, if you're looking at things from God's infinite wisdom and view, then these delays make sense. But I know it hurts to wait. It hurts looking around and seeing pain on a worldwide scale. And it hurts when that pain is experienced personally as well. But God isn't being mean to you. As hard as that is for our emotions to grasp, God is not being mean to you. His delay is not a denial. And in fact, God has a question for us. We've had lots of questions for him, but he has one for us, and that's in the second half of verse 8. It says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will Jesus come back and find you praying? Or when Jesus comes back, will he find you cynical and bitter because God didn't come through for you as you imagine it? Imagine that your favorite relatives—it's okay for the sake of this illustration, you can have favorites. Your favorite relatives are coming to stay with you for Christmas for a few days. But on the wave of their drive-in, they were caught by one of our lovely Silicaga railways and were delayed by a few hours. Their cell phone batteries were dead and they were unable to contact you. But in those couple of hours, you not only decided that they weren't coming, you got mad at them, gave away the rooms they were supposed to stay in, and ate all the food that was meant for them. How do you think they would feel when they show up on your doorstep just a few hours later than they had planned, than they had said that they would? they'd be rather insulted, wouldn't they? You'd be really rather insulted if it was the other way around. And with Jesus, it's the same way. When we look to him and say, our prayers do nothing, why bother? We're saying that Christ is like the unjust judge. That God just doesn't care. And that's rather insulting. It's rather blasphemous, really. That we would say that he doesn't care about us. Instead, we need to be ready for his coming. As one commentator put it, and I've lost my spot in my notes, I'll just give it as best as I can. Instead of... Asking the question of whether or not God's going to hold up his end of the bargain, ask whether you are going to. God has promised to be faithful, and he's got 2,000 years of track record to tell you that he is. I'm going to move this onto the pulpit. It's not ready for me in preaching mode, apparently. Get to where it won't move as much. The question is are we going to be faithful? Are we going to be ready for when he comes? So we pray and we pray persistently. To borrow from Reichen one last time, we continue in prayer, not and we stay persistent in it, bringing our same causes to him again and again. It's not because God does not listen, but precisely because he does. We keep praying to him because we have a relationship with him. It's not just come to Jesus when you have problems. Not just come to Jesus when the tire goes flat. We pull out the spare tire of prayer to get us through another week. It's because we have a relationship with him. By the way, he doesn't mind you bringing up the same things over and over again. We bring that to our family members, things that are on our hearts. Why wouldn't we bring those things to God? God wants to hear those things. So what's our takeaway from all this? When you pray for God's will to be done and his kingdom to come, as we did earlier, or anything else really, we need to remember that we are talking to our loving father, not an unjust tyrant. The timing of God's answers aren't always what you think they should be now. But I guarantee you that once you see it from God's perspective, nothing else would do. Why might it be that God is delaying? It could be like what we saw in Second Peter. He's giving time for a person to repent before he brings his justice. It could be that Jesus is working something in you. In James chapter 1, we find out that, that Christ brings trials into our lives to sanctify us. And it could be the reason why he hasn't answered your prayers. He's working on you. It might be that actually God has already answered your prayers. In the resources that are around you. When we're having difficulty overcoming a sin. Have you come to your brothers and sisters and asked for help for accountability? When you're unsure about which way you're supposed to go. Have you... Looked into the Bible to find out why? Have you spent those time in prayer, this wonderful tool that he has given to you, this wonderful means of grace? Have you been coming to the table? Have you been desiring the fellowship with the saints? This isn't meant to be dismissive of your problem. It's like, oh, we'll just work through these steps. But if you haven't even accomplished those things, then why do you think the problem would be solved? Use the resources that God has given you. He might already have answered your prayer. The old story goes of a man who was caught in a hurricane. The waters were slowly rising up to his house and he prayed to God that he would be delivered. And suddenly a boat came by and offered for him to get into the boat so he could escape the floodwaters. But he said, no, 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 I'm not going to get into the boat. God has promised to save me. The waters got higher and he climbed up onto his roof and a second boat went by. He said, come, jump in. We're here to rescue you. He said, no, 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 no. I prayed to God. He said he would rescue me. Finally, a helicopter came by and offered to give him a lift off of his roof, but he refused even that. Finally, the floodwaters came up over him and took his life. He went to heaven and told God, and it says, why didn't you deliver me when I asked you for help? God said, I sent two boats and a helicopter. What more did you want? And it's the same thing for us. Oftentimes, we leave a lot of resources on the table. We don't take advantage of the means of grace that he gives to us. And we then assume that God is the one who is not following through. So whatever you do, don't give up praying. Praying reminds you who you are and who God is. You are dependent, but God is always a source of hope. He can always do something about it. And if he doesn't immediately... It's not him being mad. It's not him being mean. It's not him being unjust because he loves you. He's not a judge that just wishes you would go away. He's a father who invites your fellowship. So don't miss out on that. I close with a quote from J.C. Ryle, was a preacher in the 1800s, speaking about this passage. He encourages us, do we ever feel a secret inclination to hurry our prayers or shorten our prayers or become careless about our prayers or omit our prayers altogether. Let us be sure when we do that it is a direct temptation from the devil. He is trying to sap and undermine the very citadel of our souls and cast us down to hell. Let us resist the temptation and cast it behind our backs. Let us resolve to pray on steadily, patiently, perseveringly, and let us never doubt that it does us good. However long the answer may be in coming, let us pray on. Whatever sacrifice and self-denial it may cost us, still let us pray on. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, Lord Christ, you have been good to us. It's not just been in those times where we've seen you work in the past. It's not just answers to prayer that prove your goodness. But above all, it is the cross where you have taken the judgment that is coming for us and placed it on yourself. So I ask that if there are any here who have not put their trust in you, who have not repented of their sin and found you to be faithful and good. Then I pray that they would come today, that they would not delay, but that they would be found faithful when Christ returned. Oh, Lord, we do pray for your justice. We pray for it to come quickly. We pray for it to come. And when it does, it will be speed. It will be fast. It will be sudden. And it will be definitive. So we ask that day to come. And we pray with hope that it will. For you are faithful. For you are faithful. And it's in Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen.